are going to continue on and jump back in here uh, with the story we've been working through. You know, um, I once heard a, a, a preacher who was... Uh, or he was a speaker. He's a preacher too, but he was a speaker anyway. He had a room full of preachers, and uh, he was teaching on something. And he took questions afterwards, and one of the pastors in the room asked him, like, how long do you prepare? Like, how long do you spend preparing your messages? I'll never forget what he said. He said, until they change me. So sometimes that means that you can get it quick, and sometimes that might mean you're at it for a long time. Uh, but he says, I never want to preach anything until it, it's messed me up first, you know. And so uh, I say that because I tried to live that way myself. But this one is one of those that, uh, you know, the honest truth is, and some of you in this room know because you preach, but the, the honest truth is some of the hardest ones to preach are the ones you know already. Like uh, at Christmas, you know, the birth of Christ and stuff like that. Some of those are actually harder to preach because they're so familiar. You know what I mean? That uh, you don't want to be repetitive about it. So you're trying to be moved by it in a fresh way and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, the Red Sea, the splitting of the sea, this whole thing we're looking at today is so familiar to me that uh, it gets into that category. But in working on it this week and studying it, man, uh, I got moved. So we're going we're gonna to get there. But grab your Bible. Go to Exodus chapter 2 and... Um, we're going to jump in there. Y'all already know what I'm going to say, but there is Bibles in the back. So if you need one, grab one. You do need one, but if you don't have one in your hand, grab one. Today we're going to be uh, looking at a few different things. But we're going to be in chapter 20 to begin with. So go to Exodus uh, chapter 20. We've been following the story of God, not the story of man, not the story of history, not the story of America, not the story of uh, Rome, the story of God, not the story of Israel. The story of God, even though these things are linked. So we've moved from creation through the fall and how sin entered the world and then through uh, Genesis and the, the passing on of the promise God made to Eve that a restoration would come through a seed, a child of hers, and that uh, the, the curse of sin and death will be broken through one of her children eventually. So we've been following that promise. We've come to the point where Moses is on the earth and the people of Israel have been in bondage and enslaved in Egypt. God has delivered them out of bondage by plagues. We looked at that last week, dramatic displays of his power. And then today we're going to look at what, what I'm calling the revelation of God. So when I say revelation... Typically, most people are going to go straight to the last book of the Bible um, and think of end times. And uh, quick point of reference here. The last book of the Bible is not a plural word. It is not revelations. It is revelation, period, uh, because it is a specific event. I mean, it takes years to play out, but it's about a specific event, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Christ to the entire world. It's not a list of general prophecies about end times. It is the process by which Jesus will be revealed to the whole world. That, that's what the last book is. And so this moment we're looking at today is no less a revelation. In fact, you could call it the same thing because it's the same God. It's Jesus is the same God. So we're going to look in Exodus chapter 20. Let me get to verse 1. And 
put these glasses on for my young age over here. Just reading a few verses, but it says this. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, or I am, I am. Again, when you see all caps, that is, in your Bible, that is the proper name of God. Jehovah, Yahweh, we've talked about this already. This is the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush for himself. He says, I am the I am, or I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me pray. Lord, you are awesome. I say that every week, and I will always say that. It's not just an introduction to prayer. It's just the first thing that comes to my mind every time I read your word. Uh, You are awesome. I don't ever want that to change. I always want to be struck by how amazing you are. Lord, I thank you for each person that's in this building today that's able to sit here with me and celebrate in just awe of what your word says and what you've done and who you are. God, never want my words to be in your mouth. I always want yours in mine. So I pray that's the case today. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, several years ago, Molly had the opportunity in a mall in Chattanooga, Tennessee, to run into Landon Donovan. And I don't know if any of y'all know who that is, but he's a pretty famous USA soccer team, the national team. He's a famous player. In fact, he owns uh, some other sports teams now, but uh, actually owns the one that here somewhere, or Tucson, where is it? I don't know. Anyway, beside the point. Anyway, he was uh, a big, big, big name, big superstar, and to Molly, she like totally fangirled out. I remember her calling me and just like, like I couldn't even hear what was coming out of her mouth. She was shouting and yelling, so giddy in the phone. Uh, but she also said that uh, I was really surprised how short he was. <laughs> like, you know, and so it, I thought how funny it is that on some levels meeting him was exactly what she thought it would be. And then on other levels, it wasn't quite the same <laughs> that she expected. Uh, I've met a few of my fanboy people, some stars uh, growing up that I admired or or wanted to be like, and uh, I've met a lot of, I hate to use the term, but it's probably the most familiar one, celebrity pastors in my day, and uh, I find that they're always a little more human than they appear, you know what I mean, once you get to know them. I don't know if y'all have been paying attention to the news, but in the news, they have been posting it everywhere. First time ever, they have found and photographed, I'm not found, but photographed a black hole in the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, they've got posting it all over the place because it's the first time they've been able to actually capture a photograph of, the, of it. They say it is four million times the size of the sun, this black hole. Four, I can't, my brain is not able to get there. You know what I mean? And we can argue about the scientific validity of it all, but that's beside the point. Four million times the size of the sun, what do you think it would be like to meet that designer? When you think about a black hole that's four million times the size of the sun and so far from us that it's taken until 2022 to get any kind of photograph of it, and it's even still a little hard to see in the photograph, what do you think it would be like to meet the architect of that? 
Um, that's where we are today. You're, you're kind of one sentence point that I always give you because Christ saves us by grace alone and reveals himself to us as God alone. We should live like we've met him and have his word. Okay, so verse 1, chapter 20, it says this, and God, now notice that's not all caps L-O-R-D, that's the word God. So that's the word Elohim, that's the same word that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We've already talked about all this, but it's a plural word in Hebrew. So in a sense, it's saying in the beginning gods, now do we don't believe in multiple gods, so either A, we're talking about a trinity, or B, the Hebrew word can be plural and singular at the same time. How so? English is the same way. What's an English word that can be singular and plural? Sheep, deer, uh, same kind of thing. So it, either way, the point I'm getting to here is they're referencing the same God of creation. Okay, the same God. And God, the God who created, spoke all these words saying. Now, before we just race past that like that's an introduction, just stop a minute and think of the power of this statement. The God who said in the beginning, let there be light. The God who created everything spoke. The, the plural God, if you want to look at it that way, who was in the beginning spoke he like projected a voice that's what, it, that's what it means to speak right he communicated the same way that he said let there be light and it existed he, he he's he communicated and then it says another word which seems silly but it's a big deal all these words he spoke words he was meant to be understood, like he was using language that they would have understood. It wasn't just a thundering boom. It wasn't angels' voices as if that was something different. It wasn't outer space noises. It wasn't just lightning and, and booming. It wasn't an earthquake. He spoke words. He said words. Most of you all in the room got to meet my granddaughter, Selah. Uh, with Sarah and Evan, who they moved back to uh, Tennessee about Jan- what was it January? Uh, but our granddaughter was born in October, so she's what getting close to six months somewhere in there. And uh, not too long ago, they called us all excited because she said "dada." So her first word "dada." Of course, my daughter can't stand that. Uh, she's excited about it, but she's also like, "Why ain't she saying mama?" You know, she needs to say, Mama. So every time I face, I usually FaceTime Sarah once a week or so and uh, see Sayla as well. And so Sarah, every time I FaceTimed her since, she's sitting there going, Mama, 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 you know, like talking to her, trying to get her to say something and uh, trying to get her to say, Mama. Me, my name is Dude. It's a long story, but that's, that's the one, that's the, that's the grandpa name I got. So, so Sarah will be cutting up and saying, Dude. Due to her, Mimo over here, you know, trying to get, why, why does it matter? Why do we want to hear her say that? Why do we want her to talk? Like, she's perfectly fine. She cries. She wails if she's got to 
If she's hungry, she wails if she's got a, you know, a dirty diaper. And they, if she's six months old, she's perfectly healthy. They've changed her. They've taken care of her. She's fine. Why do they want her to talk? Why do we want her to talk, you know? Why say mama? Because it means she knows who you are. And she's telling you that she knows who you are. It also means that she's connected to you now in a more personal way. In a more unique way. She can talk to you and tell you how she feels. She can tell you how she, what she wants. And guess what? One day, she can even tell you she loves you. What do you think that'll feel like for Sarah and Evan to hear their baby say, I love you the first time? You know? That's what it means to say God used words. He didn't just make noise. He said his name. He told them who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 2. This is what he says with his words. I am the Lord. Or again, I am the I am. Your God. Your Elohim. Your creator. Your creator. Not the creator. Not a creator. Your I belong to you. Think about that a minute. Now, I'm not saying that he's subject to them. I'm just saying he's saying I'm yours. Like, I belong to you. Man, the creator of the universe would say, I am the I am. I am the eternal God, and I belong to you in a sense. And he says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Look at what he's saying. I brought you out. I saved you. This is a revelation right here. He's revealing himself to them. He's not some mysterious force. He's not the river Nile. He's not, uh, you know, the, an animal. He's not the sun. He's not any of those things. He is alive and he speaks and he's seen. You know, we'll see some more of that. But most importantly here, he is I am. He is eternal and he's infinitely powerful to save. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. I'm the one. Now, because of that, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. So we jumped over a story. We're going to look back at it really fast. But we came out of the plagues and the people are free. After 430 years in slavery in Egypt, they leave, and they're free, and it tells us there's 600,000 men on foot, so that means there were probably more men who maybe were older and couldn't walk, but either way, and then women and children, so it's safe to say you're talking about a million people. Uh, it tells us there were a mixed company, which means there were other nationalities among them. The Egyptians had other slaves beside the Hebrews, so perhaps some of those slaves came out with them. We know there were other nationalities that would have been in Egypt. Maybe they were like seeing all this play out, and we're like, yeah, we're going with them. We know Egyptians went with them, it tells us. So there were Egyptians among them that said, uh, their God is God, we're going with them. Uh, so anyway, this company comes out, and it tells you in verse chapter 13, I'm backing up, and I'm going to come back forward here really quick over a few verses Chapter 13 of Exodus and verse 21, it says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So think about a pillar, this pole right here, although probably infinitely tall, a cloud. By day, it's moving. It's not drifting. It is intentionally guiding them. Uh, and at night, it's fi- It's fire. 
I mean, I don't know what that looks like, but it's fire in the sky. And it doesn't say that it's random objects. It says that the Lord went before them in a cloud. The Lord went before them in a pillar of fire. So those things were his presence. And it says that they may travel by day and night. So he's intentional about moving them, right? They're moving day and night. Day and night. I mean, they're moving. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So it was in front of them the whole time. God intentionally leads this people, though, to a place where their back is at the Red Sea. And they've come to land's end to where there's no more land to go to. And they've come down over some mountains. And now they're stuck at the sea. So they're hemmed in. They're at a dead end. Way to go, Moses. And I know there's a pillar and I know there's fire, but where are we going here? What are we doing? We're a dead end. We're a dead end. What's worse, Pharaoh changes his mind. God plays a role in that too, but Pharaoh changes his mind, loads up his army and chariots, and they chase him down. And the people turn around now, trapped by the sea, and they see coming out of those mountains, here comes all of these soldiers. People are terrified, and guess what they do? They blame Moses. Look in Exodus chapter 14. Verse 13, it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation. That word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. That's a name also. Whose name is that? Jesus. That's the word Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua. I'll come to that in a second. But it says, Stand still and see the salvation, the Yeshua of the Lord, of I Am. Proper name. Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Some translations say stand by or stand still. But stand firm is more accurate. Literally saying stand up straight and bold. And see. Stand up straight and bold and see. Man, I could go off on this one forever, and I'm not going to. But how many times, how many plagues, how many things have they seen God do miraculously, and yet now they're going to freak out? You know, but we do it too. All the time. All the time. Well, I own it. I do. All the time. Okay. But anyway, he says literally here, you could see it this way. See the salvation of I am, or see the, you could say, Jesus of I am. It's the same word. I like to read it that way. See the stand still and see the Jesus of I am. He will work for you today. That's what it literally says. He will work for you today. That's such a good counsel too because no matter what you face, if God led you there, if God led you there, and I don't assume that Every little one of your situations that goes wrong is some miracle God's going to do for you. But if God's led you there, no matter what you face, stand firm and see Jesus. The Jesus of I am, of Jehovah, will fight for you. You just need to be silent and trust him. That's what it's saying. Just be silent and trust him. It's not, it's not a formula saying if you be silent and trust him. It's telling you, hush. You know, trust him. Don't brag. Don't bail. 
know what I mean? Don't don't say too much and, and, and don't cry too too much. Don't do either one. Don't complain. Just anticipate how he's going to do whatever he's going to do, especially when you can't see any way possible, because that means is a miracle this, in some way. That's going. I'm not the guy that's come come get your miracle. I'm not saying that, but I am saying if he led you there and you see no way out then there's something he's going to do that will blow your mind if he led you there, all right? And it's an imperative, that word see, stand still and see, it's an imperative. It's not saying stand still and you will see. Or look over here, it's, it's, it's commanding you, put your eyes over here, look now, turn your eyes on the thing you're afraid of, which is the armies of Egypt coming this way. Turn or look at them. Look at them, and your eyes will see salvation. Well, how is that possible? Well, verse 19 says, chapter 14, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So now we have a little more detail than we had before. You had the cloud and you had the fire, and it said the Lord was in them. But now we're being told it's who? The angel of God. I talked to that about that before. We'll talk about him again. I believe that is God. I believe that's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. We'll talk about it more as we continue because you'll see this character come again. But either way, it's telling you that there was an actual manifestation of God. There was an angel. There was a presence there that it wasn't just a cloud. It wasn't just fire. So this angel comes around back. So whether it's an actual warrior angel of some kind or whether it is God's presence being described that way, he comes back around and it stands behind them between them and these armies that are pressing in. So the first move God makes is what? Defensive, protective. I've got you. Before I show you what we're going to do here, you've got to know something. I got you, man. I got you. I got you. And and we get that same thing out of Christ. Jesus stands between us and what we fear. And at the same time, while you're looking at this and there's an angel there and the fear and all this, you don't know behind you, he's providing a way. He's providing a way. And even when it's beyond all imagination, even when it is impossible Chapter 14, verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by it's a strong east wind. That word wind is spirit. They're interchangeable. So it's, it, it, I believe it was a wind, but it's a picture of the spirit as well. All night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The language is almost poetic there. It's, it's almost saying God, Jehovah, made the sea walk back. In the spirit. It's almost like he's painting this picture of the spirit of God pushing the sea back in both directions. Verse 22 says, And the people of Israel went into the middle of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Um, The ground being dry because they had wagons and animals and everything else in the bottom of a an ocean, a sea, or whatever is going to be mu- obviously muddy and soaking wet at the very least. So it's a miracle that it stood up. It's a miracle that it says it heaped up like walls on both sides. But it's even a greater miracle, too, that the ground itself dried out so that they could walk across 
And there's a picture here of the cross. I love that song that you chose to sing. There's a picture here of the cross. The rulers of the day had him nailed to wood. Nailed to wood. He's not coming off. They'd already beaten him within inches of his life beforehand. He's already bled out countless amounts of blood before he even was nailed to the wood. After hours of struggling in excruciating pain, lifting himself up, trying to catch breaths and breaths and breaths, finally he dies. Beaten, punctured, stabbed in the side even after death in order to puncture his heart just to be positive. The enemy has him now. There is no escape. No escape. But the impossible would happen. The impossible would happen. In the power of the Holy Spirit, it says that the grave would open just like the parting of the sea. The grave would open and all of his people would find a highway from death to life. The exact same picture. Romans 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Same picture. But it doesn't end there. God allows Pharaoh and his armies to come right on in behind him into the water. And then it says God himself crashes the water down onto them. Maybe you've heard a sermon about uh, Jesus calming when he when he calms the sea with his disciples and typical sermon is something along the lines of calming the seas in your life or how how Jesus can bring peace to your life uh, you know something about calming your disturbed life or that is not what that story is about not at all in fact the disciples themselves the way they respond in the moment tells you what the story is about in mark chapter 4 verse 41 when he does calm the sea they say this they're filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him maybe they're thinking of the red sea splitting who is this man with us that can command the sea. He's God. That's what that moment is about. It's about him identifying to these disciples, I am that God. I'm the one that split that sea apart. I'm the one that provided a way for them to walk through. The Israelites back in the desert begin to walk after having crossed the Red Sea and they roam out into the Arabian desert. Um, there's an awesome video. You can look it up for free on YouTube. I shared it with my disciple guys. I usually always like to share it. It's called Mountain of Fire. It's an, the search for the real Sinai. It's these Christian archaeologists that found where they believe the original Sinai is. It is mind-blowing. I won't go any farther than that. You can go watch it for yourself and see what case they make. But they make an argument that it is in the Saudi Arabian desert. I don't disagree. I think their argument is really good, and there's good biblical reason for that. So in any event, the people of, of Israel march out into the Arabian desert east of the Red Sea, and they start to suffer for water, and they come upon this spring. It says that the water in the spring, though, was bitter. So God tells Moses to throw this tree, this wood, into the bitter water, and it would become sweet. Again... The cross. Once again, there's another picture here. When that wood of the cross 
is applied to our lives, it takes the bitterness out of it. In fact, it takes the bitterness out of death. That even, in a sense, death becomes sweet. Because now, because of that wood, the cross, we know that even in death, we go home. Paul would call it victory. You know, we have eternal life. From there, the Israelites press on towards the mountain where Moses met I am on the bush. That's where they're coming back to that same place. Um, They run out of food. God provides them with bread, literally from heaven, this thing called manna. Nobody knows exactly what it is, so they just kept the name manna. You can read up on that all you want, but that comes literally from the sky. It appears in the morning on the ground. And they take it and they make bread in order to survive. It's literally bread from heaven. Jesus said he was that bread. John 6 verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, me, my life. Um, there's a picture. The Sabbath gets instituted in this. I won't go all into that, but along the way the Sabbath does, uh, tied to the manna. They're told you can get manna six days out of the week, but on the seventh day you rest. Now, it's not about making sure you make time to get off your feet. It's about trusting God. Now, I'm the worst at this. This is probably one of my, full full disclosure, one of my biggest weak spots in my faith. But it's about saying stop for a day and trust me that Rome is not going to burn to the ground if you stop for a day. Stop. It's about trust. It's about saying I trust you and I will stop. We only have food for six days though. What about that seventh day? I mean, we're just not going to eat on the seventh day? I mean, what's the, you know, trust him and stop. That's what it's about. So once they arrive at Sinai, they complain because they don't have any water again. Now, God tells Moses that he, God himself, will stand in front of a rock like a large boulder there at the mountain at Sinai. And for Moses to strike it and water is going to flow out. And literally a river that flows and fills a lake. It's enough for a million people plus their animals. uh, Pours out of this rock again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that this rock was Christ, that he provided the living water, that he was struck. Why would God stand in front of the rock for Moses? That's Again, it's a picture of Christ, that Christ was struck and that in his death he became living water. Christ said it himself, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Uh, so after three months they arrived, they're here at Sinai, they provided with water to drink, but also to cleanse themselves with because God tells Moses that in three days he's going to come down and meet them. Now go back to the four million times the size of the sun, black hole. He's going to come down and meet you. So clean yourself up. Walking across the desert, clean yourself up in the water that I just provided you from a rock. Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, third day relevant for any reason? 
day Christ rose, right? Three days. You'll start to see that thread constantly through Scripture, pointing to the third day over and over. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. They're terrified. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. So they're already freaking out because of all this. And he says, all right, come on out and stand. <laughs> stand here. And they stand at the foot of the mountain, and then verse 18, now, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because of the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled and shook greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, it's not them playing trumpets, it's a sound from heaven like trumpets. Louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, verse 20 says. Literally comes down. Picture the moment. Like, I don't even have to describe it to you any better than that. This is beyond terrifying. Beyond terrifying. But this is it, right? This is the moment. This is us meeting God, right? Chapter 20, verse 1. And in that moment, God speaks these words, saying, I am The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. I believe he's earned that. Not that he needed to, you know. But this is not, let me clarify something. This is not about order. And some of our other faiths that are here in the valley, such as Mormons and others, that believe in uh, a different interpretation of who Jesus is would argue in this case that, well, see, you have the Father and then the Son. So the Father is still first. Nobody before me, he's still first. But that logic, if that's the case, means you can worship whoever you feel like it as long as you worship Father first. You can worship the Father first, then the Son, then all the Baals you want, then, uh, you know, you can worship Satan if you like, as long as you worship the Father first. If that's what this means. That's not what this means. That's a failure to understand the English translation of a Hebrew word. In the English, it's not saying before in a sequence. Number one, number two, number three. It's saying before in the presence of. Literally, it's saying in my face. Have no other gods in my face. Do not put any other gods in my face, in my presence. That's what it means. Before in the presence of me is what it means. Have no other gods in my presence. I'm it. Don't put anybody else up here with me. Period. There's only me. You know, the rest of the ten, we're not going to go around the room. We don't have time anyway. But uh, because this God has saved you. Because of the powerful way that he delivered you from the plagues. And death and slavery, through the plagues from death and slavery. The powerful way that he guided you across the desert. The powerful way that he split an ocean in order for you to cross on dry land when you had no chance and no hope of escape. Because of the way that he destroyed the enemy that had enslaved you. Which for us is Satan and sin and he will destroy it finally. Because of all of that, have no other gods in my presence. Don't take my name in vain. My name is holy. It means something. Don't waste it on silly things. Remember the Sabbath. Take time. 
Remember to trust me for one day a week at least. Honor your parents. I mean, I'm not breaking all these down. I don't have to. They're pretty black and white. The problem is I think we spend so much time on them, we fail to miss the black and white. Honor your parents. Don't murder. The word is murder, not kill. People get all tore up on this because of war. Another story, we'll get to it. When we get to Joshua, we'll talk about it. But it's don't murder. No adultery. Marriage matters. Say it however you want. It matters. No adultery. No stealing. No false witness. Don't lie, on, don't lie about them. Don't lie on somebody. Tell the truth. And then no coveting. Don't want what somebody else has. Don't passionately desire what somebody else has, whether it's their husband or their wife or their family or their home or their car or whatever. Don't do it. But I want to make a note here. God speaks these ten, it says. He speaks these ten and all the people hear it. But there are more than ten laws. So when people talk about keeping the law, they fail to realize that there are 613. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. In the first five books, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books, there are 613 laws. Not ten. The first ten, God spoke. But God gave to Moses a great deal more. So if you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep 613, not 10. All right? That's a little, little bit of a side note. But um, I find frequently when, I, when we read this or we hear this, uh, at least for me, I, I know I used to think it a lot. I wish God would speak to me. I really wish he would speak to me. But, man, can you imagine being there in that moment if that's the way he's going to speak and those are the things he says? Look, look, look how they respond. Look in verse 18, chapter 20. Almost done here. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far away, backing away. And, Moses, and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let him speak to us anymore lest we die. Like they are afraid of heart attack, struck down, death from hearing him speak. Why? Imagine if God did walk in here today. And if he did it in the same kind of awesome shake the ground power, it would be even more impactful. But if he said, I am Jesus. You know, I am Jesus. David. Have no other gods before me. I'm the one that saved I died for you. I conquered a grave for you, David. Have no other gods before me. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Now, y'all aren't me, but even as I'm saying this to you right now, I can feel myself, like, getting anxious. Why? I already blew it. I've done that stuff. You know, maybe not the worst of the, maybe I didn't go all the way through with this or that, but in different ways I've done those things. I've already done all those things. So even as he's telling the law to these people, you feel like, well, the law is horrible because it's it's doing a terrible thing. But it's not, it's actually a great thing because the law is telling you a little bit of who God is. It's giving you this glimpse into his character, which no other faith can claim that. And yes, it's convicting you of sin, but guess what? You know. You know. What a gift that is. That God would say, 
I'm pleased with this, but, but that's not okay. No other faith knows that. They just hope God's okay. They just hope he's all right. Or they just hope that, well, I don't know if that was bad or not, but I hope he'll excuse it. But we know, we know, even if it condemns us, it's a blessing that we know. Suddenly we're aware, I'm a sinner and I've already failed you, God. And the guilt makes me afraid and it should make me afraid. But what it does is it turns me into this place where what do I do? Well, I need an attorney. I need somebody to plead my case, man. I need somebody to stand before me. I need somebody to be my priest. I need somebody to ask for mercy of God. I need an intercessor. I need somebody there that will communicate with him. And the Israelites in this moment of terror ask for Moses to do that. And Moses agrees. But that's only, again, a picture of Jesus. That's who he is for us. The one who always stands as an advocate for us. First John Verse two, chapter two, verse one says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hebrews seven, verse 24 says, but he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He conquered death. He's a priest who always lives. He's eternal. Verse 25, consequently, or so because of that. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. Romans 8, verse 33, some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Uh, I love those words. He's saying, who would dare come to God and condemn you, if your faith is in him. Because he paid for you. Nobody's got a right to condemn you before God because God paid for you. With his own life. That's what he's saying. More than that, he was raised. He's at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 39, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're a Christian in the room, and and maybe that's most of us, but if you're a Christian in the room, you may be saved by grace. And you are saved by grace if you're a Christian. But it's not over at that point. There's a walk. There's a path through deserts at times, through hunger at times, through struggle at times, through bitterness at times. But there's also miracles along the way. And all of these little things give you opportunities to know God. To meet the person that you claim your faith is in. So this is my charge to you. Take every moment to do it. Don't race past it. Hurry up and get me out of this, Lord. Take the time to get to know him. Let his words compel you to live Like you do know. Let me ask you guys to stand up and and we're going to close up here. And uh, I know I asked you to close your eyes. I'll ask you again to do that. Not again for the sake of drama, but for the sake of just shutting the world out for a second and focus on these things we've been thinking about. I I do the same thing. Maybe, uh, Maybe God is speaking to you today in a unique way. Maybe for the first time you're looking at scripture and you're seeing Jesus through it. Maybe like me, you're a believer, but it's just moved you today. I mean, thinking about it, not me. 
thinking about his word, his words moved you today and seeing what's been shaking me up is seeing him provide a highway through an ocean and thinking how Christ provided a highway out of the grave. Impossible. Made possible because the creator of the universe loves you. And if today you haven't given your life to Christ, that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And it's as simple as putting your faith in him, admitting who you are. I hear these commandments. I hear these things. And I know that's not, I know I broke them. I know it's not me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've failed already. But I trust you are the one who delivers. I trust the cross was enough. I trust that the grave has been emptied. And I trust that just as your word said, you'll save me as well. My faith is in you. If you can say that today, the Bible says you are saved. You belong to him. Lord, I love you and I pray for anybody in the room that would confess that today for the first time. That you open their heart and fill it with, their, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, for those of us who know you and follow you, help us to be faithful to look for you every day in all things. To anticipate what you're going to do, especially in the times when we feel like there is no way out. And Lord, help us be faithful to live in your word in such a way that people see the way we live and look to you. Lord, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.